it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have a great show for you. We're going to answer some great listener questions. We have four of them that we're going to answer. A couple of them are a little bit more rapid fire than usual. And then we'll do our usual give and take that Andrew and I like to do. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and read the first question. So I have, hi there. Thanks for the ebook. I've just listened to your podcast show where you talk about your favorite books on investing for beginners. There was one book I wasn't quite able to figure out the name of it. Maybe you could help me find the title and the author, please. I think the author is called Bonish Perai, and the title of the book has Investor in it. Do you know the name of the book, please? And did I get the name of the author right, please? Best wishes, Therese. So I hope I pronounced your name correctly. And yes, the answer to the question is Monish Pabrai. He's an Indian investor. And the name of the book is The Dondo Investor. It's one of my favorite intro books to learning how to invest. Very, very well written easy to read, has some really interesting concepts in it. And he does a great job of kind of outlining how to think about value investing, value in companies, looking for companies, and just kind of the whole idea behind investing. So I've been a big fan of this book basically since I began. It was one of the first or second books in investing that I read. And like I said, it's it's really easy to read. It's not overly technical and there is some math in it, but he does a good job of kind of laying it out and making it not so overwhelming and scary. I do like he starts the book out talking about how there was a group of people who took advantage of hotels being really, really cheap. And the way he described it was just very approachable, kind of like you were saying, 
So even if you have no experience with investing, I think you'll find it to be, I think they say about value investing, either the concepts will click or they won't. But if they do click, you'll find a book like that to be very helpful. Yep, exactly. The main focus of the book is trying to find companies that are selling less than they're worth and buying them and holding on to them. And that's a great way to make money. So hopefully that helps you find the book. You can find it on Amazon. I've seen it in a library. So there's lots of great resources. It's also available on Audible. So there's lots of great resources to find find the book if you're out there looking for it. So hopefully that helps. All right, let's move on to the next question. Hey, Dave, thanks for all you and Andrew do. I really enjoy your podcast and the resources you put together. With respect to your time, I'll keep this short and simple to one specific company, Ethan Allen Furniture. Incorporating all the metrics you put emphasis on and reviewing previous year's financials, it seemed this would be a great company to buy into. They're not having to rely on overseas materials. They've increased earnings and profit each year and pay a dividend just to name a few. Reviewing some other options out there with regards to the current stock price, Ethan Allen appears to be a great buy. I'm curious your thoughts, of course, specifically how they may or may not be appealing to you. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Ethan Allen? I guess I'll preface by saying I haven't done the deep dive in this company. I'll just kind of give some initial thoughts based on looking at the company. So I did do somewhat of a deep dive with another kind of related company in the whole furniture household products space company called Temper Sealy. They are ticker TPX. And so something I found interesting when I was reading through their annual report, this is something that they put, you know, if you have the patience to dig through all of the big words and and all the pages of text in an annual report, you can find little nuggets like this. But they said, according to ISPA, which must have been one of the industry associations that analyzes these industries, they said the industry has grown by approximately 4% annually over the last 20 years. So that's that's kind of like the first, I think, a good concept to get your brain around. I mean, there's lots of good concepts, but that's a good one where if you can kind of figure out what the growth prospects of an industry is, particularly if a company is close to maturing in that industry, that could be a good way to set your expectations on how you think the industry is going to grow. So that would be kind of one of the first insights I had. And when I looked at the revenue trend for Ethan Allen, it's hard to tell whether they are keeping up with that pace or not. So that would be something I think is a good place to start. I know a lot of growth investors kind of start with the top line, this revenue growth concept, but it really does make sense because you can only squeeze profits so much at a certain point. If you want to grow, you have to grow the top line, which means growing your sales. So to know that, okay, this industry grows around 4%, that helps set my expectations for how I think the growth rate of the company would be. That's kind of my first thought. Yeah, that's a good thought. And it's a good place to look. I know that when I was looking at Ethan Allen, the going back to the top line, the first thing that kind of popped out to me was that Although the revenues are doing better over the last two years, they're still below 2016 levels. And so that, to me, was something that was a bit of a concern. And the reason why that would be a bit of a concern is, again, this is not a space that I follow, so this is all anecdotal. But Restoration Hardware, who is roughly in the same kind of industry, uh, did quite well during the pandemic, and several other furniture companies like Pottery Barn and such I think did very well through the pandemic as well because people were using their stimmy checks to buy furniture. 
And I remember the Motley Fool podcast talking about this over and over again, how astonished that they were that people were buying so much furniture and they just, it seemed unusual to them. And so when I compare that to what you see the financial results for a company like Ethan Allen, it leads you to why did they not benefit from the same scale or same benefits that some of these other companies seem to be benefiting from during the same period. And so that would ask me, that would lead me to ask the question of, are they not positioned well? Are there, is their marketing maybe not as up to snuff as some of the other companies? Maybe their niche is a little bit different than the other ones. Again, I don't know as much about the space as I should, but it would, those will all be questions that I would want to answer before I kind of moved on to whether or not Ethan Allen would be a good investment or not. Uh, for me, the company is a little too small. It's around 600 million in market cap. So it's a pretty small company. And so that just makes me a little more nervous too. But I think those are all questions that they're fairly easy to answer just by doing a little research with other comparing other companies and kind of seeing how they're positioned. Another, I guess, unused and I think a great technique if, if it's available to you is just go to the store. If there's an Ethan Allen around you, go to the store and walk into the store, walk around, notice what customers are buying, notice the clientele that are there, notice how employees are behaving and or just sit outside and watch how many people go in versus how many people come out with something. Now, sometimes maybe buying a bed and walking out of the bed may not be realistic, but some of those things can give you, I guess, a sense of how the company's doing. And then you could likewise do the same thing with restoration hardware, for example, if that's a competitor of Ethan Allen. So those are just, I guess, some quick ideas of some things that kind of popped in my head when I was kind of looking at the company. I really like that idea of thinking about the competition because it is so important. I think it's easy to get really excited about a company and their particular numbers, but you always need to take it in the context of who are their competition. So that's probably my next step if I'm looking at something that I'm diving deep into. Who else is in the space like restoration hardware, like potentially Temper Sealy with their mattresses? Where are they competing with other companies and how do they stack up? Who has more sales? Who has less sales? How are their sales going? Is one company growing their sales faster than somebody else? Those are all other things to kind of look at. And I think it helps you get a good picture of like what Dave was saying. There, there's going to be companies that can execute better than others, especially if you have a great tailwind, like a bunch of people moving and getting new homes or upgrading their homes. That's obviously been the trend lately. So those are some other things to think about. And going to that size question too, you know, are they with uh, sales? I see their latest sales are around 685 million and their market caps around the same. So in my mind, that's a little small for my taste as well. How does that compare with other companies in that industry? Maybe it's actually not that small. Maybe all the companies are that size. And in which case, you know, they could not have the issues that a small company might have when it comes to competing against their peers. But I think going to the numbers helps you answer a lot of those questions. I like that that, that was a focus in this question and, and they are looking at profit and profit's good to look at year over year. But you also want to think about longer term, are there going to be enough sales growth to continue to let the company continue growing profits because you can't cut costs to zero. There's always a max to how much you can cut costs. That's why sales growth, you need to have that too. Yeah, I totally agree with that. and. If you're looking for 
I guess, a couple of quick ways to find potential competitors for a company like Ethan Allen. There are several options for you. So number one is the proxy statement, which is available for free at sec.gov, or you can go to investors, the investor relations for Ethan Allen, and that website will give you a proxy or a DF14A. Proxy is an easier way to think of it. But that, in essence, is a document that talks about all the different things that pertain to shareholders, voting rights, uh, insiders, how much different companies pay their CEOs and management. There's also most of the time there's a section in there that will contain who they consider their competition because they base their pay and their remuneration for the officers based on what other competitors are doing as well. And they'll also compare their different metrics that they're looking to try to beat that they think will help their business. Another way to look is a place like uh, ticker.com, which is a website that I use. And they have a listing here with all their competitors. Ethan Allen competitors are Home Depot, Lowe's Company, Ross, Best Buy, Williams-Sonoma, Restoration Hardware, and Bed Bath & Beyond are, and Sleep Number Corporation. So those are just a few listings of some of the companies that Ethan Allen could be competing against. And looking at those companies and seeing like what kinds of sales growth they're having, what kind of margins they have, see what kinds of returns on capital they have, and then compare those to Ethan Allen's. And you can kind of get a sense of how that company fits in their niche. And all those things will help you decide whether you want to continue down the path of finding out whether this company could be a great investment for you or not. And everybody has a different comfort level of what they're comfortable investing in. And if Ethan Allen is a company that you know really well, and let's say you work in that industry, you may have more insights into it than I do. And so that would give you better judgment on some of the things that I'm talking about. And it certainly would help a lot if you worked in that industry or if you have different ideas about how some of those things work. And again, it all comes back to positioning how the company competes against the other companies, how long the company has been around versus its competitors. There's a lot of things to consider, but for me, it's easy to just make a list in essence. So take a list of some of the things that Andrew and I are suggesting and then just start making notes of things that you discover. And by doing that, you may discover that maybe Ethan Allen isn't the play, but maybe one of these other companies is. And so that's another great way to search for companies. When you're doing research on one particular company, maybe you find something about that that's not appealing, but you find other things about other companies that are appealing. And it just kind of goes from there. So it's not just a static, you know, I'm only focusing on this. It's It can be, a, I guess, more broad range idea to find other investment ideas. Yeah, that's all great advice. Those are good resources too. The ticker.com, that's T I C K R. Dot com, it, right? It, it's actually T-I-K-R dot com. T-I-K-R. Okay. Yeah. T-I-K-R dot com. Cool. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. 
As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yep. All right. So let's tackle the next part of uh, Brock's question. So this is a good one, too. And one final question, please. How much credit do you put into FinViz when it comes to financial statements compared to looking up their 10K report through Andrew's recommended avenue? Thank you, sir. All right. So what are your thoughts on Brock's final part of that question? Yeah. FinViz is always just a starting point. So for people not familiar, finviz.com is a place you can go to quickly sort between pretty much every stock that's publicly traded, at least in the United States, some of them are broad. I think they have 8,000 stocks on there now. So you can search. It's great because you can search by size, by country. Do they pay a dividend? You can get really, really granular with it. And it allows you to narrow down and make these lists of companies that fit the criteria you're looking for. And so it's a great starting point to... I like to sometimes just put the company's ticker on the top of Finviz and you get kind of like a snapshot of, okay, this is their dividend yield. This is their price to earnings ratio. This is their debt to equity, all that really cool stuff. But that's just the starting point from there. I think you do have to go deeper and you have to start looking at their 10K, also known as an annual report. And that's where you start to get nuggets about how the company feels about the industry it's in. Like going back to the Temper Sealy thing, they report what the growth rate for that industry has been historically. They also, a lot of companies will talk about their competitors right there in the 10K. So I know a 10K is really, really, it is like very intimidating, especially if you've never done it, but Dave has actually done a great blog post on it. So if you go on our website, you just type in annual report, his post up there should go near the top. And he did a whole blog post of showing you the different sections, how you can find it, how to read it. And so that really helps you kind of focus in the stuff that maybe you don't need to focus on so much and the stuff you should laser focus on. You don't need to read a 10K like you would a novel. 
It's more like a, you know, like you're doing forensic work on it and you just got to make sure you know where to put the magnifying glass and what parts to really pay attention to. Yeah, exactly. The cool thing about FinViz, like Andrew was saying, is it gives you these great snapshots. And especially when you're trying to narrow down the search of companies that you're looking for, it allows you to refine that search so that it reduces the amount of companies that you have to look at. If you just look at the the, like the initial ticker, or not the initial ticker, the initial page is what, 11,900 or something, I don't know, some crazy number of companies to look at. It's, you know, it's global. So you can even search it via whether you want to look at companies here in the US or you want to look at them in Canada or you want to look at them in Asia. You can kind of, it's really broad range. So it's nice in that respect. And like Andrew said, you know, having that clicking on the particular company, let's say Home Depot, and you see all the metrics that they portray can really give you a nice snapshot to give you, I guess, a little more defining of the metrics that you want to use to search for particular companies. If you want to get, I guess, broader looks at the financials of the companies, then you kind of have to, you have two choices. You can look at the 10K, which I definitely recommend. The only drawback to that is most of those companies only show a three-year snapshot of the income statement, for example. Whereas a company like our buddy Stratosphere Investing, they have 10 years of financials. You can look at everything for 10 years, balance sheet, income statement, free cash flow, everything. So that's awesome. There's also QuickFS, there's ticker that I mentioned, you know, there's guru focus, although they're a little briefer, but some of these companies now are offering 10 years up to 10 years of financials. So it can kind of give you a broad overview of maybe how the company has performed during a longer period of time. And a perfect example of that is how a company did pre COVID COVID and now air quote post COVID, uh, hopefully knock on wood. And so, you know, all those things can help give you a good overview, but again, those are just overviews. Buying a company based on what you see on Stratosphere Investing or QuickFS is not what we would recommend. We recommend you do look at the financial reports, read a 10K, learn how the company operates. That's what the 10K, for me, that's the most beneficial part of the 10K is the financials are the financials and I can find them a lot of places now. But the biggest thing that I get away, take away from it is what does the company do? And how does the company talk? And then also any risks that may be involved in investing in a company that I can't think of just as a general rule. And then there's other little nuggets in there as well. But I always think of reading a 10K like eating a pizza. And Andrew, I know, likes this idea, but it's it's like you don't eat a pizza all at once. As much as we really want to, you have to eat it piece by piece. And the 10K needs to be kind of the same idea. And if you don't have two hours to sit down and work through Home Depot's 10K or Ethan Allen's 10K, then take a little bit and work on just how the business operates and then take a little slice and and work on the risks and just kind of work your way through it. And that will help give you a better overview. And you will be astonished by how much you understand the company by the time you get the end of, you'll get a really good sense of whether these are people you want to give your money to or not. You know, the, all the other details will come as you work on it more, but you'll just get an overall sense of whether this is a business you want to be invested in or not. Yeah. It's like you said, it's astounding how much you can learn just from reading it for a lot of these companies. Mm-hmm. Highly it, recommend. Yeah, really. It really is. Yep. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. 
Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Geem. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So let's move on to the last question. So this is from Wayne. It says, hi there. I've always been a fan of your articles, and these have been integral in my personal investing journey. I'm a healthcare worker who's taken a keen interest in value investing. Recently, I've come across a company called InMode with incredible margins, high growth rates, negligible debt, but they sell a one-time product and a radio frequency machines for dermatologists and plastic surgeons. What are your thoughts on a company that grows fast, but with its recurring revenue, making up only 10% of its entire sales? Thank you very much. So Andrew, what are your, what are your initial thoughts on Wayne's question here? By the way, before I dive into this, I love how everybody's coming up with these cool ideas and they're kind of doing their own research and finding these little gems and it's making it a lot of fun to try to take these and and give some teaching lessons out of it. I also don't know this industry much. Fortunately, we don't have time to deep dive in every single industry we get alerted to. But to think about the question of, am I worried about a company that does not have much recurring revenue? I would say it very much depends on what kind of industry we're talking about. So I'll give an example. I have a company... I really like in the home building space. And if you think about that industry, what the home builders do is they buy the land and they develop on it, they build a house on it, and then they sell it to somebody. And then it's like, wipe your hands clean and move on to the next customer. It's not, so there's not much of recurring revenue in that sense, but it's not something that worries me because I understand that the demand for homes is really high. It's been very high historically for a very long time. And new customers are not very hard to find, especially these days. So it's not a thing that would concern me that they don't get much recurring revenue. On the flip side, you have a company like Microsoft, which I've been long for. It was the first stock I ever bought and recently bought more of it. They have a ton of recurring revenue, which is very, very nice because it's almost like every year their revenue is out of floor. They add more customers and it's like, we're at a new floor. And then you have more customers, we're at a new floor. You raise prices, we're at a new floor. So it makes their revenues very reliable. And that's why you do see the higher, it tends to get a higher price in the stock market, a higher valuation compared to its earnings. So obviously I like both situations and that's where I say it really depends on the business model. Because if I were to see Microsoft and they had their recurring revenue start to decline, that would be something to look at, potentially be a bad signal. Whereas you know, with, with a home builder, we don't care about recurring. So that's why I say, you really have to know, okay, what are these machines? How does that fit in with their customers? 
You know, how is this serving their customers? Why are they buying these machines? How often do they buy them? These are all things that, again, if you read the 10K, you, you should get a lot of insight into some of these ideas. And then also having that industry experience from being a worker there, that's, I'm sure, going to help immensely too. Yeah, those are all great insights. And I think the idea of recurring revenue is obviously a great idea. And But the fact of the matter is, is not every business model will allow that. And depending on what it is, you think about, you know, Helm Builders is a great example. Cars, you know, think about cars. Our favorite company, Tesla, has gone to the moon based on the idea that it's not a recurring model. It's you buy a car and you don't buy another car for, I'm not sure what the, the average rate is, I'm going to guess five or six years just for giggles. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but you think about, you know, but nobody worries about whether they're going to find, you know, the demand for other people to step in and buy a new car and whether it's Tesla or whether it's Honda or whether it's Ford. And so that business model, it's kind of the same idea. There's a never ending flow of people that are going to want to buy a car, or you could call that a TAM, you know, a total addressable market. There's a very big TAM for auto industry or for electric vehicles in particular right now. Same thing with homes and look at the demand of homes right now. Pulte and, and all the companies that are associated with building homes, they aren't too worried about whether there's going to be other people lining up to buy one after they sell the one they have in front of them. So it really goes back to, like Andrew was saying, Understanding the industry that they're in and going to be a recurring demand for that product down the road. If it's you buy this one time and it only lasts for 30 years and there's 150 people available that would want to buy it, well, then, yeah, that's going to be something of a concern. But if it's something that has to be replaced on a somewhat regular basis or upgraded because of technology improving, there's all kinds of things that you need to take into consideration when you think about that. And reoccurring revenue is not always the panacea that it's made out to be by market analysts. There are, Sometimes there are higher costs associated with recurring revenues, and that may be a shock to people, but the sometimes the cost to acquire a customer is quite expensive. And if you have high churn, in other words, if somebody signs up for Netflix, they're only on the service for six weeks, then they churn off, they unsubscribe because they wanted to watch Squid Game <laughs> and it's over and now they, they don't really have any interest. Then Netflix has to go back and spend more marketing money to acquire that customer to come back on the platform. And so that's why when, when you talk about companies that have recurring revenue, sometimes the cost to acquire those customers can be very expensive and it can really eat into the margins. And sometimes you'll notice that companies that have more one-time charge kinds of opportunities may have better margins than companies that are recurring revenues because of those costs that are required to acquire the customer. So it's not always a panacea that every company is going to have recurring revenue because some just aren't. And they may, or it may be a smaller portion of their business. So it goes back to figuring out what it is that they sell, who can they sell it to, and how much can they sell it for, and how long can that continue to go on. And like Andrew said, if you have inside knowledge of that industry, then you're light years ahead of me looking at a company like InMode right now because you're in it. You know what's going on. You know how they operate. And you may even be using their product. And if you are, then that just gives you even more insight. So I think that's a great question to ask. But it really comes back to, I think, understanding the business model and what separates it from its competitors. If you want an example of a recurring model that hasn't worked out so well lately, just look at the cable industry. 
I mean, we've all we all know how that monthly cable bill has been so annoying, and finally people just got sick of it, and those companies have been struggling really, really badly, and so it does come down to that's the industry. You, if you understand the industry, if you're a cable customer, you understand the industry and you understand the alternatives. And it's been a very tough period for those companies because they haven't been able to keep customers on that recurring model. There's been a ton of churn. It's not a panacea. And what Andrew was saying at the beginning is understand the business model and understand what it is that they're trying to do and how much growth that could be possible from that business model. All right. So with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for today. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those fantastic questions. That's all great stuff. We really appreciate that. And like Andrew was saying, you guys are you guys are asking some really interesting questions and are doing some really interesting dives into some areas that we have not explored before, which is which is a lot of fun for us. So without any further ado, I guess I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.